How do you make sense of your life, your meaning, purpose and destiny? Why is the world the way that it is, with all the beauty and goodness, but at the same time all the pain, the decay, the death? Jesus helped us to understand the world by using powerful picture language. He talked about a tree and its branches. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Jesus is saying that our lives are made for a relationship with God like a branch in a tree. And the way that we can grow and flourish is by staying connected to the vine. But actually the reality for all of us, if we're honest, is that we try and cut ourselves off from the vine. It's as if the, the branch has a conversation with the vine and says, I don't want to be just a branch. I want to be a tree. I don't want something else telling me what to do or directing my life. I want to be independent. I don't want to depend on that tree. And so it's as if the branch in pursuit of freedom cuts itself off from the tree. And it looks like it's free and it looks like it's full of life, but actually immediately it's dead and it can only head in one direction. And that's what our lives are like. We can't get life from anywhere. We try and find meaning and purpose by plugging ourselves into other things, good things, like friends or family, in a career, or money, or children, whatever it might be, but those good things weren't designed to sustain us, they can't. And so our 20s turn to our 30s, to our 40s, we start to experience wilting and decay, and ultimately as we hit our 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever it might be, we end up on the rubbish dump of history. And that's the phrase that Jesus used to talk about hell. Jesus used a very specific word called Gehenna. It was the name of the valley outside of Jerusalem where the rubbish was thrown, where the fire never went out, where the worms were constantly rotting and decaying, whatever was thrown there, the unwanted refuse of society. And Jesus says, don't go there, don't end up on the rubbish dump of history. And he doesn't preach from a distance like some kind of prophet or guru. No, Jesus made a massive claim about himself. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus claimed to be God, the source of life. And he came down to live the life that we fail to live. And he came specifically to die so that instead of us, he was cut off so that he swapped places with us. He took the pain and the mess and the evil and the crimes that we commit on himself. And so if we trust in him, he swaps his perfect life for our broken life. He was cut off instead of us so that we can be connected back, so that he could pick us up. Whether we look good on the outside or whether we look like something that's totally rotten, came to pick us up and as it were connect us back into the tree to give us life life and meaning and purpose here and then true life for eternity such that death is not the end but a doorway to a life that is greater than we could possibly imagine don't you want that amen well good morning I want to let you guys know that uh, next week we are starting a brand new message series, Journey to the Cross, as we head toward Easter. How exciting is that? Can you believe it, that Easter is not far around the corner? So we're starting this new message series that will lead us right up to Palm Sunday and then ultimately to Easter. So need you guys back next week so we can start this together. Today, we're going to come back to our message series 
on the seven I am statements of Jesus. It's been a few weeks. We took a pause. We had love week in between. We did love is, love does, and had something very special last week where we just made room for the Lord to move. And boy, did he, didn't he? For those of you that were here. It's awesome when we do that, when you just allow God to have his way and how awesome that was. So when we began this series, we began it with a question that Jesus had asked his disciples, and it came from Luke chapter 9, verse 20. It was, who do you say I am? And this was not a trick question. It was a question designed specifically to provoke the disciples to consider their level of faith. Not only was this question the most important question his disciples would have to answer, it's the ultimate question for all of humanity today. Because there's really only one answer that leads to forgiveness and eternal life. For it's impossible to be wrong about Jesus and to be right with God. It's impossible. Your answer to this question will determine the direction and ultimate destination of your life. If you declare Jesus as Lord of your life, the Son of the living God, like Peter did, when he answered this question in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, then the direction of your life will be following the narrow and difficult road of Jesus. And the ultimate destination for you will be in heaven with Jesus. But if you declare Jesus to be anything other than your Lord and Savior, then you will follow the broad and easy highway to hell and be separated from God forever. It's a choice. And yes, it really is that black and white. When Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? He is not interested in in knowing what the crowds say about him. He wants to know what you and I say about him. Who do you say I am? He's speaking directly to all of us. And it's the most important question we will ever answer in all of our lives. And to help us answer this question, we've been studying the seven I am statements of Jesus. They're recorded in the book of John and they point directly to who he is. Because what better way to know who Jesus is than to study who he is in his own words? So we're going to do a quick review of the ground that we've covered throughout this series thus far. If you've missed any of the messages in this series, I want to encourage you that you can go online to our website You can catch yourself up. You can watch them there. Or excuse me, in the future, you'll be able to watch them there. You can go there now and listen to them. And um, nothing is more important than knowing who Jesus is. Now, the words I am is the name that God used for himself in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses asked God his name. God responded and said, I am who I am. So the words I am are incredibly significant. And when Jesus uses these words, it is absolutely clear that he's not only claiming to be God, he is God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, which means he is the living bread that came down from heaven to satisfy the spiritual hunger that we all have. And just like you and I need physical food to survive physically, we need spiritual food to survive spiritually. He said, I am the light of the world. Light is is meant for us to follow. It's not meant for us to avoid, nor is it meant for us to ignore. Following him is the only way to receive the light that leads to eternal life. He said, I am the door of the sheep. Which side of this door that we choose to live on, it matters. 
On one side of this door is an empty life that leads only to death. On the other side of the door is an abundant life that leads to God's presence, his provision, and his protection. And as the shepherd serves as a door to protect his sheep, we must serve as the door to our homes to protect the sheep in our family. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And what makes him the good shepherd is that he laid down his life for all of us because of how much he loved, loved us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just have the power to resurrect and give life. He is the power. And true faith that relies on his promises is what releases his power. No matter what we may be feeling or what we may be going through right now, the voice of Jesus can change everything. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father because He and the Father are one. If you know Jesus, then you know life. But if you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. No Jesus, no life. When we choose His way based on His truth, we will receive His eternal life. We cannot make our own way on our own terms based on our own efforts. Jesus is God's only solution for our sin problem. So when we choose him, we choose life. There is nothing greater in this world than knowing who Jesus is. Knowing him personally and intimately should be our ultimate goal in life because it's the key to victorious and righteous living. And it's the key to eternal life. But the world we live in is so busy and it's so noisy that it distracts us from what our main focus should be. The world wants us to focus on self. What's in it for me? What makes me happy? What makes me feel good? Because the world is all about indulging in anything and everything to satisfy self. But we've been determined throughout this message series to flip our focus. Instead of focusing on ourselves or who we are, who we should become, we've been focusing on who Jesus is. Because once we understand who Jesus is, this then explains who we are and who he desires for us to become. Let's pray. Father, we need you. And we pray right now that you'd be here in our midst. And Lord God, that this word would speak directly into our hearts. And may it glorify your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to explore Jesus' seventh I am statement. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17 today. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along in one, there's plenty right here on the bookshelf. You can follow along up on the screen, on your mobile device, whichever you choose. In this text, Jesus gives his seventh and final I am metaphor. He does this to his disciples, and this happened just before he was crucified for the sins of the world. Now, the key theme that I want you to see in this passage that we're going to read together is how many times that Jesus uses the Greek word meno, and it's translated into English most commonly as remain or abide, depending upon your translation. You'll see it one of those two ways. Jesus used this word 12 times in the verses that we're going to look at this morning, and this is significant. Numbers in the Bible are often very significant. In most instances, the number 12 in the Bible, it represents perfection, completeness, holiness, and authority. 
And as fun as it would be for me to stop and explore the number 12 further, we're going to just jump right into the text because, man, we got a lot of ground to cover today. But I want you to take notice of each time that you see the word remain, as this is the central message Jesus was conveying to his disciples. And it's the key message to all of us as his followers today. So here we go. Jesus says here, beginning in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Thus says the Lord. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And the cultivation of vineyards was at the center of life in the economy of the Jewish people in Israel. So once again, Jesus uses a metaphor that was very familiar to his audience. Just like the vineyards being at the center of Jewish life, Jesus must be at the center of our lives. A branch cannot survive apart from the vine. And neither can we survive if we're not connected to Jesus. The vine is what distributes the nutrients to its branches and it causes them to grow. Jesus is the source of life. And he is what causes us to grow spiritually. To remain in him, it means to abide, to dwell, to live in. This does not mean that we live however we want through the week and then we show up on Sunday and expect to grow. doesn't mean that. No, when we remain in him, we live in him every day. Twelve times in 17 verses, Jesus used the word remain. This is the key to Christian life. We must remain in Jesus. Jesus is the vine, and those of us who have given our lives to him are the branches. That's the metaphor. Branches cannot survive if they are not connected to the vine. So when we remain in him, we produce fruit. That means there's evidence of our faith in our lives. 
Galatians chapter 5 tells us what kind of fruit is produced in our lives. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Fruit always bears the character of the tree or the vine that produces it. So when we bear spiritual fruit, we look like Jesus. But without Jesus, we can do nothing. We must be connected to him. No amount of human effort can accomplish anything of spiritual significance apart from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. By saying he is the true vine, we understand that there are other vines, but they are not the true vine. He is the exclusive and true vine that provides spiritual life. There is no other. And his father is the gardener. Gardeners must remove every branch that does not bear fruit because the non-bearing fruit branches take needed energy and nutrients away from the other branches. Anyone who has any experience gardening understands this principle. But sometimes, sometimes we encounter passages in the Bible that are not fun to hear or don't feel good. Or perhaps they don't appear to line up with man's denominational theology. Many of us have a lot of prior denominational baggage that we carry with us. And it hinders our ability to see God's word for what it truly says. We all need to study God's word and follow the Holy Spirit's lead in allowing his word to speak to us without man's interpretation corrupting the purity of what it says. My heart for this church is that we would be like the Berean people, right? The Bereans were those that heard the word of God. Then they went back and they searched the scriptures out to make sure that what they heard was in fact lining up with the Bible. All of you should be doing that. Matthew chapter 4, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? Now, man's interpretation corrupting the purity of what it says. Sadly, there's a lot of corruption because unfortunately there's a lot of deception. So we really need to be on our guard. And how we stay on our guard is remaining in Jesus, the true vine. Remaining in him is the key. While we could stop and debate who the branches are in verse 2 that God removes, or even what the Greek word for removes actually means, it's really not as important as that central theme that we're focusing on today, and that is remaining in Jesus. Because verse 5 makes this abundantly clear. The one who remains in Jesus produces fruit. So there shouldn't even be a question on which branches bear fruit and which ones don't. The word says that the one who remains in Jesus produces fruit. If you've got your hand out, that is your first blank. Produces much fruit. It's not maybe or possibly. No, they will produce much fruit. So this is the focus. Jesus is the true vine, and you and I are the branches. If we remain in him, Meaning, if we live, if we abide, if we dwell in Him, where our lives are solely focused on following Him, then we will produce much fruit. However, as the end of verse 5 says, we can do nothing without Him. In other words, we cannot accomplish anything of spiritual significance apart from Him. Now, it's verse 6 
that I want us to stop and camp on for just a few minutes. It says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, this is another verse that I've read so many varying opinions about what it means. But hopefully, hopefully like you, I don't want just man's opinion. I want the truth of God's word. And the best way to interpret scripture isn't by what man says. It's simply by looking at other scripture. Because scripture interprets scripture. The Bible will interpret itself. You do not need a doctorate or a PhD to interpret the Bible. No, all you need is the Holy Spirit. It's in your blank. That's what you need, the Holy Spirit. So how can we understand what's being said here? If we remain in Jesus, we live. If we don't remain in Jesus, we will eventually wither and die and be burned. That's what's being said. That sounds simple enough, right? But then there's many of us that will layer in all kinds of other factors that will complicate the simplicity of this verse. It may be what we heard in Sunday school growing up. It may be what another pastor has said. Or it may be what a specific religious denomination supports. Or it could be a certain theology that you've been taught. So how can we resolve this? Scripture will always interpret Scripture. The Bible is God's holy and living word, and it is the absolute truth without error, which means it never contradicts itself. So to help us understand what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 15, verse 6, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to other scripture. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 22. And here it's the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Gentile Christians in Rome, and he uses a very similar metaphor to what we see here in our text in John chapter 15. Jesus speaks of himself being the true vine, and you and I as believers as the branches, here in John chapter 15. Paul uses very similar language in Romans chapter 11, where the olive tree represents Jesus, and the branches represent his people. And Paul refers to two types of people as branches, Jewish branches and Gentile branches. The Jewish branches, they were the original branches in God's olive tree. In other words, they were God's original people. But thank goodness that God extended his grace beyond just the Jews to also include the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are simply non-Jews. That's you and me. That's anyone who is not a Jew. So we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 11, verse 17. I want you to listen to God's word. Separate what you've been taught in the past and just listen to his word. Here it is. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You were just a branch, not a root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. You'll see in the King James or New King James, it'll use the word unbelief. That's why they were broken off, unbelief. 
And you and I are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you. If you continue to trust in his kindness, but if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. Unbelief. That's what got him cut off. Unbelief. If you stop trusting, you will be cut off. Now, one of the greatest lies of our enemy is to make us think that what God said is not actually what he said. You can go right back to the Garden of Eden where all of sin started, and you may remember that God clearly gave Adam a command. He said, you may eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except the, tr- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat it from it, you will certainly die, right? Then the serpent makes his way onto the scene, and he says to the woman, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? You see how slick he is? Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's such a liar. And all he has to do is introduce doubt into the equation through his deception. That's what makes him so incredibly dangerous. It's why we've got to know the word of God. And then he has the audacity to say to Eve, no, you won't die. Which is in direct contrast to what God said to Adam, that you would die. That lie that the enemy said in the Garden of Eden is the same lie that Satan is propagating today. You won't die. Now, let's put this all together. John chapter 15, Jesus said, If anyone does not remain in me, they will wither, die, and be burned. And then we see the same thing in Romans chapter 11. It's unbelief through not remaining in Jesus that can get us cut off. It's very clear from the text in Romans chapter 11, verse 20. It says, fear what could happen. And then in verse 22, it says, if you stop trusting, you will be cut off. That's the simplicity and clarity of God's word. But a very popular theology today will say that can't even happen. Which is exactly what Satan wants us to believe. That can't happen. You won't die. It's unbelief through our sin that separates us from a holy God. And it's belief through our faith in what Jesus did on the cross that connects us to that same holy God. Remember, the enemy is incredibly crafty. He says, you won't die, but God's word clearly says otherwise. Remain in me, Jesus said. If you don't, you will die. The enemy wants nothing more than to make us think that that is not even possible. And let me be incredibly blunt. That is cozy Christianity. And as remnant believers, we reject cozy Christianity. The prophet Azariah said this to King Asa and all the people of Judah and Benjamin in 2 Chronicles 15, verse 2. He said, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, many will dismiss this passage because it's in the Old Testament. Or they'll say, oh, we're not under the law anymore. And they'll give some other creative explanation, right, to rationalize this text away. Which is, again, 
exactly what the enemy wants us to think as he continues to whisper the same old lie, you won't die. We must remain in Jesus because if we don't remain in him, we will die. Now, I could cite a whole bunch more Old Testament scriptures, but let me jump into the New Testament. Let's jump in the New Testament. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Depart from the faith. You can't depart from something you don't already have. To say otherwise is simply a doctrine of demons. There are so many doctrines of demons flying around right now, and it's only going to get worse as the end time draws near. So we must remain in Jesus. We must remain in his word so we can recognize truth from error. Now, I don't have a lot of time left this morning, but let me just highlight a few more verses to drive home the importance of remaining in Jesus and the warning of what could happen if we don't. Now, don't be deceived into thinking that it's impossible to be saved, be in a relationship with Jesus, and then one day stop trusting and turn away. Because if that were not possible, then why all of these warnings in Scripture? And why would Jesus say otherwise? Now, I don't want us to get too caught up in this because it can be an endless debate that really doesn't even matter. All that really matters is remaining in Jesus. He is the vine. He is the giver of life. Just keep following him no matter what. This is my heart's cry for everyone to become and to remain fully devoted, faithful followers of Jesus. So let's quickly look at a few more verses so that we can drive this home today because Scripture always interprets Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. We've seen this text before. We did a whole study on the book of Colossians. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you remain. We must remain grounded and steadfast in our faith. First John chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, it says, You must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. We must remain. We must heed these warnings from Scripture. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, We must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so we will not drift away. Again, you cannot drift away from something you don't already have. And the audience of this text It wasn't unbelievers. The writer of Hebrews was writing to believers. We we absolutely cannot read into Scripture what is not already there just to fit man's cozy doctrines. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's unbelief that will turn us away from God. 
which is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is warning Christian believers about. So the natural question is, what could lead one who believes to no longer believe? The answer is sin. It's rebellion from following God, which is why just a few verses before this one, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 and he says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Nothing will harden your heart faster than sin. Living in outright rebellion to God, which is why Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. He says, And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. Now, how can you be worse off than you were before? Before you knew Christ... You were dead in your sin and you're destined to hell. Doesn't sound like it can get much worse, does it? Then you came to know Christ and then you get all twisted up back into sin again that Jesus has already freed you from. So now what could be worse, right, than you were before? What could be worse than being dead in sin and being destined to hell? Well, here's the answer. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. You see, the Bible has all the answers. We just need to search them out with the help of the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. This is why we would be worse off than we were before, because there's no longer any sacrifice to cover these sins. So no, our salvation is not fire insurance. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card either, nor is it a license for us to live our lives however we want to. Salvation is a precious gift that we should cherish and that we should remain in. If we remain in Jesus, right? If we remain in Him, then we won't get tangled up all into sin again. We won't have our hearts hardened, which will eventually lead to unbelief. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, he said, those that endure till the end shall be saved. Now, the Greek word that's used for endure, it comes from the same root word that is used in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, remain in me. So those who remain in Jesus all the way to the end are the ones who will be saved. It's all about remaining in Jesus. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. If anyone tells you that you don't have to endure, that you don't have to remain, or that you can live your life however you want to and still be saved, it's a lie from hell. That sounds just like what Satan said in the garden. You won't die. So if you hear something like that, run from them and run to the truth of God's word. Now, I don't have time today to show all of the passages in the Bible that warn us about this very subject that we're dealing with here. All of the warnings in Scripture are there so that we will remain in Jesus. Remnant believers always remain. Remnant believers reject cozy Christianity that attempts to shift us away from the hope of the gospel. That hope rests squarely in Jesus. That hope is an anchor for our souls so that we're not tossed back and forth by the doctrines of demons. We must remain in him don't ever be seduced by a doctrine of demons no matter how eloquent it sounds or how much it tickles your ears always hold it up against the truth of god's word 
So let me get us back to our original text in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And 12 times in 17 verses, Jesus uses the word remain. Why is Jesus emphasizing this so much? Why is he saying that we need to remain in him? While there are so many reasons that I could give to answer that, I'm going to give you just two of them. And they come directly from Jesus' own words. Here's the first one. John chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. So reason number one on why Jesus is emphasizing the importance of remaining in him is so that we will not abandon our faith. If abandoning our faith were not even possible, then why would we need all the warnings in Scripture? And why would Jesus have needed to tell his disciples and us to remain in him? And if you don't get anything else from today's message, I want you to get these three words. Remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Because if we remain in him, we are secure in him for all eternity. And that should give us tremendous joy. And that also leads me to reason number two on why Jesus emphasized remaining in him. It comes from John 15, 11. It says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. His joy is what makes our joy complete. And oh, what a joy that it is. The enemy is always wanting to steal this joy, which is why we must remain in Jesus. So we're almost done. Hang with me. How can we remain in Jesus? You may be thinking, okay, I got it. I understand. I need to remain in Jesus. But how do I do that? Well, Jesus tells us exactly how. He says right here in John chapter 15, verses 10 through 13, he says, when you obey my commandments... You remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So there it is. This is how we remain in him. Obey his commandments. Obey his commandments. And as Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, the entire law, all the commandments of God are summed up in loving others the same way that he loved us. So loving others is how we remain in Jesus. If we remain in him, we will produce much fruit. Fruit always bears the character of the tree or the vine that produces it. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. No amount of human effort can accomplish anything of spiritual significance apart from Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. Is he your true vine? Are you connected to him? Now, this series has been an amazing journey of discovering who Jesus is. The seven I am statements of Jesus are not intended for us to receive just his intellectual knowledge. No, they should motivate us to worship him for who he is. For we cannot be wrong about Jesus and be right with God. For Jesus is the only bread that satisfies our spiritual hunger. He is the only light that leads to life. He is the only door into heaven. He is the only shepherd who loves his people so much that he willingly laid down his life so that that we could be saved. He is our only hope of a resurrection. He is the only way to God. 
He is the only source of truth and life. And he is the only vine through which we can experience life, power, and the fruit of God. Do you know him today? It's not enough to know about him. We need to know Jesus personally and intimately. That's all that truly matters in this life. And through these seven I am statements, Jesus is calling us into a relationship with him. How will you respond? How will these seven I am statements look in our everyday lives if we took them seriously and we lived them out? So I'm going to end this message series the same way we began. Jesus is asking us today, who do you say I am? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And forgive us for getting so tangled up into these endless debates that don't matter if we'll just stick to the word of God. Father, I pray that you encourage all of us to open your word and study it and that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truth that we need. We know scripture interprets scripture. We don't need man's interpretation. Your word, in fact, tells us we don't need other men to teach us. We just need the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we need you right now to work in and through our hearts, Father. So many are being deceived by the millions because of the enemy that's running rampant out there right now. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bring your holy fire down on every enemy of God right now in Jesus' name. I pray that you would burn up every plan, every plot that the enemy has to deceive people, all his minions and demons and all of it. Blow it all up in Jesus' name. Father, we pray to be free from that so that we can be truth tellers because we know that the truth will set us free. And so many are walking in bondage right now, Lord. I just pray, God, that there be an outpouring of your spirit upon your people. Lord, and that you would just ignite that holy fire right here in this room so that it would go out from here, the living room, and out into this community, Lord. So many people need you. Burden us, Father, to reach those people that are lost, that need the truth and the help of who you are. And so I pray today, Father, that you'd renew that fire within us. Kindle it, that it may burn brightly for you. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for this family here. What a joy it is to be in the house of God and to have the freedom to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, you know all the things that people are dealing with in their hearts right now. You know all those thoughts that are running around. Some may be doubting some of what they heard today because of the denominational theology they were taught growing up. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal your truth in your time and in your way. We don't rely on man. We rely on the word of God. And so, Father, I just pray for that truth today. I pray for others that may be here right now and who've never committed to following Jesus with their, with their lives. I pray that you would stir their hearts, Father. They wouldn't leave this room without getting right with you. We've talked so much about wanting to see repentance, or excuse me, revival, but we've got to see repentance first. And I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage us to make it right with you. I thank you for the truth of your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you need prayer today, I just ask you come forward. Come forward, I'll pray with you. If you're not sure of your salvation, but you want to be sure about it today, I'm right here. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Others of you may have some needs that you want prayed for. Maybe you have some sin to confess. I'm here.
There'll be others that could come forward and pray with you as well. But thank you very much. God bless you. Have a great week.